Please be seated, church. Good morning, church. If you're just joining us today, my name is Dean. I am so honored to be able to serve as the lead minister of this incredible congregation. And we are getting ready for uh, the celebration of Jesus coming into the world in this uh, classic way that followers of Jesus have been doing for about 1,600 years. Here's a way to think about it. You ever look around at the world and say, I, I just would long for God to show up in some way. I would long for God to awaken hope in some way in situations that are hopeless, uh, that God would show up to deliver in ways uh, and in situations where it looks like it is devastating and disaster all around. Well, that's what this season is all about, is a preparation and an anticipation for God to come or to show up or arrive. And actually, all of those words in the Latin uh, are translated with the word Advent. But followers of Jesus have used this word for this season of the weeks leading up to the celebration of Jesus coming into the world in his first Advent, his first showing up on stage. And, and we think about this in a way that we're practicing having the kind of hearts that are ready for God to come back again, not just in Jesus' last Advent when he fixes everything, but to have the kind of openness in our lives that we're ready for God to show up anytime. Uh, we're ready for God to show up in powerful ways in our lives. So that's, that's what we've been doing in this Advent season. And this church recognized the season of Advent before uh, I was privileged to be with you. One of the things we added last year was just this little simple visible symbol of this. It's called an Advent wreath. The symbolism of the wreath is what wreaths are always symbolized. It's a circle, the never-ending, never-beginning, never-ending love of God. And then we have these candles that each week one more candle is lit as we lead up to Christmas Eve where the center white candle represents Jesus. Color purple in church is often uh, represented a, a color of repentance, a season of repentance or preparation. Uh, the pink one next week will be lit as we turn more towards joy and hopefulness. Uh, and here's a way to, to think about it. Some places the candles will each have a word attached to it, peace or joy or hope. We may do that sometime, but the earliest centuries ago, the earliest practice of this was really about the light. Here's the symbolism of the light, that what the birth of Jesus is all about that we celebrate is that the light of God has literally come into a dark world. The light of God has come into the world. So I'm about to light two of the candles. We're, you know, two more weeks before Christmas Eve. And as I light these candles, we always just have a moment of, of quiet. I want you to think about, as I'm lighting these symbolic candles, what is some place in your life or in the world where you long for the light of God to come? What is some place in your life or in the world where you want God to bring light and hope in the middle of darkness? And then I'll leave a moment of silence and we can, we can offer that as a prayer. There's certainly a lot of places of that. It may be your own personal life. It may be someone you love. Certainly a lot going on in the world, right? It could be the devastation in Israel. It could be uh, uh, the, the tyrannical stuff going on in Ukraine. It could be the things in the schools, right? There's plenty of places where we want the light of God come. So let this be a symbolic prayer for light to come. Take a moment in silence to offer that to God.
Father, we pray as the church has for 2,000 years. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. As we're reading these passages and looking at invitations and practices of preparation and hope, uh, we're looking at all of them leading up to Christmas and on Christmas and even the week after, all out of the book of Isaiah. It's a powerful book of visions for the hope of God because they had been through years and years of devastation and ruin and discipline and we're about to read the passage in the book of Isaiah where everyone recognizes it takes an enormous turn towards hope. So would you please stand out of respect for God, open your Bibles and devices to Isaiah chapter 40. Read the opening of the whole section section of the book of Isaiah where God declares the hope of the Lord for the people of God. And you'll see on the screen words that we use as a simple practice of saying thank you to a God who speaks to us after we read. This is the word of the Lord from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray as the psalmist did so long ago. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to begin by thinking about something that maybe you've done at some point in your life. Maybe you questioned yourself. Sometimes we even make jokes about this. Have you ever had some time in your life when you were hearing voices one way or another? Hearing voices in your own mind. Again, usually we talk about this in some ways. We may send them to Sean, right? Because it's a, some mental struggle that we're going through. But did you know, if you thought about it this way, this is actually a practice that can open up all sorts of imagination and creativity for people, right? Have you ever read a book before you saw it on a movie screen and you could hear the characters' voices in your mind? That creativity can awaken things and open up worlds and possibilities. 
You may not realize it, but there's a, a name that's pretty common around this time of year, something you'll be exposed to, and that's exactly the way that this artist practiced his craft. Uh, the book that he wrote, uh, that maybe you've read or read parts of, you've certainly probably at least seen parts of that as it's been adapted many, many times into film. It's called The Christmas Carol. And Charles Dickens, one of the greatest authors uh, in, in American history, he wrote about this uh, experience of Christmas. But in all of his writings, what they tell us is the way he practiced his craft is he would hear the story before he would ever write it. A literary scholar said that, that he would actually distinctly hear the voices and the words his characters would speak before he ever wrote them down. In fact, this is the way Dickens himself put it, his creative process. He, sit, he said, when I sit down to my book, some beneficent power, some good force in the universe, I wonder what that is, shows it all to me and tempts me to be interested. And I don't invent it, really, I do not. But I see it and I hear the voices and imagine the scenes and then I write it down. Isn't that amazing? His creative process that opens up worlds that we still enter into today started with him creatively hearing voices. And when we come to the passage here today, we see God doing the very same thing through the poetry of the prophet Isaiah. God says, as I'm preparing my people for my arrival in the world, what I want them to do is hear some voices. Voices of comfort and voices of hope. Because you realize in the book of Isaiah, we're in chapter 40 as we read this, for 39 chapters, the Lord has brought words of judgment and discipline and challenge. Not because God is mean, but because God cares about them and wants them to change. But here it shifts. And God says, I want you to hear voices of hope and comfort and anticipation. And so in this passage, there's actually four voices that we will hear. So let's walk through them because each one of them offers us a potential practice for this season of our lives. How do we open ourselves up to the hope of the arrival of a God who shows up in the world? Well, the first voice is the most important one. You find it in verses 1 and 2. It's the most important because it is God's voice first. And here's a way to think about uh, what, what the Lord says here. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to peek behind the curtain with me. Peek behind the curtain of the world. Because what happens in verses 1 and 2 is before you see anything happening on the earth, what you are invited into is a scene in the heavenly room, so to speak. And the imagery is of God seated on God's throne as he was back in chapter 6 in Isaiah. And God is speaking to the heavenly court. He's speaking to all of his servants who are going to then do what he says to do in these opening two verses. Hear the word of the Lord here. He says, comfort. And then he repeats himself, comfort my people who for 39 chapters have been weighed down by the pains and the struggles that they've been going through. Comfort my people. And he says at least three different things about what's going on here. He said, first, the battle is over. When you peek behind the curtain, the battle's already over. Uh, secondly, your sin and your rebellion, and there was a lot of it, has been forgiven, and God's discipline is done. What a powerful word for people who've been feeling the weight of all of those things for 39 chapters. Battle's over. Your sin and your rebellion is forgiven, and the discipline 
is done. Here's a way to think about it. And this season invites us to really lean into this. Here is a reality that sometimes something has already happened in the spiritual, so to speak, and we don't see it yet in the earthly. Do you get that? God is speaking in the heavenly court, and he's declaring this has already happened, but if you talk to the people of God at that time, they wouldn't have experienced it yet that way. Here's the reality. Sometimes God has already acted. He's already moved. He's already changing situations behind the curtain, so to speak. We just can't yet see it. What has happened for them? I love the way one scholar puts it when he said, now their punishment is in the past tense. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Their punishment is in the past tense. God says, I've dealt with this stuff. Again, he's not trying to be mean. He's trying to change and transform them. God says, I'm done with that work. Now go live it out. By the way, what a beautiful promise for the people of God, followers of Jesus today. How much more true is that for us? Your punishment is in the past tense. The weight of all of the brokenness in your life is in the past tense. Now go live into that. Do we have the capacity to believe that there are some times and places in our lives that maybe what we see in front of us isn't the full picture? Because in the spiritual, God has already acted. He's already changed. He's already moving. He's already declaring something to be true. We just don't yet see it. See, if you ask the people of God at that time, when they would look around, they would still see cities that were devastated and broken. They would still see hearts that were, that, that were hopeless When you've been through great seasons of fear and despair and hopelessness, that doesn't just vanish in a moment. So God says, can you peek behind the curtain with me and see the reality of what is true? Is there some place and season in your life, some situation in your world or the world, where it feels like this? You're longing for the light of God to be here, but God is saying, do you know, you don't see it yet, but it's already here. I'm already bringing my light. I've already declared it. It is possible some things have already happened in the spiritual that we don't yet see in the earthly. And can we pray into that? Can we live into that with that sense of an Advent heart? I was talking to my wife earlier this week. We were talking about a mutual friend of ours we've known for years, haven't lived in the same place as her for years. We prayed for her for years. Because a lot of her life she spent just an amazing lady, but she was running from God or ignoring God or just missing out on the possibilities and the wonder of God in so many ways. And that's changed radically in recent times. And my wife said something that just stuck with me. She said, I remember praying for her at times in our lives, and she said, I never could have imagined where she is in her life right now. And it hit me as I'm reading this passage. I wonder, is it possible that there were a period of time where we're all in distress for our friend? And God had said, I've already moved. I've already changed hearts. I've already declared it. You just don't see it manifest yet. Is it possible there's some place in your life where God is inviting you to see and in this Advent season to practice believing more than you're able to see what's right in front of you? That's the invitation for the Advent season. That's the voice of God. Come, peek behind the curtain with me. Then after God speaks, it's as if he sends out voices to speak to the people of God. And then the last three voices that you find are all anonymous. 
Love the way one writer puts it when he says there are times, and Advent season is one of those, where the messenger is not as important as the message. Think of John the Baptist and others. The one who was to come is the one that was important. Whoever was announcing it wasn't as important. So there are three anonymous voices that come. Let's hear what they are saying on behalf of God. The first one, I would say, comes in verses 3 through 5. The way I put it is to watch out for the bulldozers. Watch for this as part of the Advent season, part of being prepared for a God who shows up, is there will be bulldozer moments in your life. Perhaps if you've read the opening of the Gospels in the New Testament, you've heard these words before in reference to a particular guy named John. We call John the Baptist, but this is the voice in the Old Testament. Verse 3, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every pothole will be filled. Okay, that's my paraphrase. Every every speed bump will be taken away. The rough ground will be made level. The rugged place is plain. And why? So that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it. God says there are times when the Lord wants to show up powerfully in the world, in a community, in a family, and in our lives, but he's got to do some bulldozing work first. Because there's some things that are obstacles in our own hearts or lives or situation that until the Lord gets that out of the way, we won't be ready to see the glory and the wonder and the power of the Lord. So God in his kindness will move some of the obstacles out of the way. Again, in the New Testament, this passage is specifically used to refer to John the Baptist. And what he's saying is, before you can experience God coming in the world in Jesus, you've got to do some things to clear or allow God to do some things to clear the road. The word he used was repentance. Can you turn in God's direction? Can you let go of some things that are blinding you from what might enable you to see God coming into the world. And there were folks that saw Jesus. They walked with him. He did miracles in front of them. And they missed it because they didn't allow the Holy Spirit of God to do the bulldozer work that needed to be done. Here's a way to think about what does that mean for us? I I think about the, uh, the practice of obedient listening opens up the powerful activity of God in our life. I think that's what John the Baptist was doing. I think that's what Isaiah is doing here. The practice of obedient listening. When we hear the prompting of God to trust God enough to say, okay, I'm going to follow you there, will open us up to experience the Lord's work. It's not that God is a legalist or we've got to jump through hoops. It's just we can't see the glory of the Lord sometimes when there are potholes in the road or there are obstacles and speed bumps that we need the Lord to clear out. Let's think about it this way. There's a couple, there's many ways this could look, but there's a couple ways we might think about it. One may be literally the way that Israel had to experience. It may be conviction. The bulldozer moment for your life may be conviction. They needed to be convicted of their rebellion and their sin. Uh, it, what we do in this season, we ask the Lord, is there, is there anything you need to move out of my life? Hear me, not as guilt. If you are in Christ, you, you are free and, and you're heaven bound and all of those good things. But there are times where God says, I, I need to get this out of your life so that you can experience now the life I've intended you to have. Is there some habit or habitual way that you are ignoring God or rebelling against God? This is a great season to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to surrender that to you afresh and anew. That's what Israel had to do. But you know, it's possible in other way too. For some of us, the Advent preparation for the Lord working in our lives is maybe there is some possibility that the Lord has for you. And if you're like me, a lot of times I'm afraid to take the risk of moving in God's direction. It's not sin or anything. It's just that God wants more, some purpose or possibility in my life. 
And I've talked to people before, and some might say, well, I'm, I'm too young to make a difference like that. Others might say, well, I'm too old, or I, I'm too set in my ways. Is it possible the Lord wants to come and bulldoze through some things in our minds where we were limiting ourselves or limiting the Lord from doing something great among us? I was talking to a friend of mine this week. I hadn't talked to him probably in several years. And he shared with me he was in a place like that. He's not in sin or rebellion. But he did recognize that he had found himself in a place where he was far too comfortable. And he said for for a sense of time, years maybe even, he felt God prompting him or moving him to take some risk in a way he would be able to live with a greater purpose for his life. You know what the bulldozer moment was for him? He was really comfortable in his work. All of a sudden, his work is drying up a little bit, and he's not able to pay the bills quite as easily as he was before. And it made it a little bit easier for him to take a step out. But when he talked to me yesterday, he talked to me with an awakening and an excitement about the possibilities of the Lord. Why? Because God moved some of the obstacles of his own self-doubt and fear out of the way, and he's stepping into it. It's a great time to ask yourself, God, is there some place in your life where the Lord is prompting you, is inviting you, calling you, convicting you to say, can I get that out of the way so that we can show up in and I could show up in your life in a more powerful way. This is a great practice for the Advent season. Right? It's the second voice. Third voice, again, an anonymous comes in and asks, here's the way I put it, what's your ladder? <laughs> what's your ladder? What is it that you are leaning on and depending on for your life? You, you find this voice coming up in, in verses 6 through 8. The anonymous voice says, cry out. Probably speaking in this moment to Isaiah. And Isaiah says back in verse 6, what shall I cry? And here's the imagery. All people are like grass. All their faithfulness, all human self-effort is like the flowers of the field. Well, that sounds kind of cool. No, the problem is the grass, grass withers and the flowers fall. Surely people are grass, it says in verse 7. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What are you depending on for your life? And the question is, is what I'm leaning into, is it what's carrying me over the ravine moments of my life, is what I'm depending on something that's about human effort, human power, human privilege, human control, or am I trusting in the movement, presence, power, and word of God that does not fade, it does not wear out, and it always endures? Does that make sense? It's a powerful question in this moment. What is it we're leaning into? There's another way to think about it. I love when writer put it, said, one of the major obstacles to the work of God in our life is the illusion of control. Ever thought about that? One of the major obstacles to God, me letting God do work in my life is the illusion of control. I've shared with you before one of my favorite quotes. Writer said one time, she said, human beings never really lose control. You ever feel like I'm out of control? Human beings never really lose control. They only lose the illusion that they were ever in control in the first place. Sometimes God allows us to have these moments where we feel the inadequacy of the things that we are depending on. And we generally come to a moment where we are surrendering all that matters in our lives into the hands of God. doesn't mean we don't do anything, but it means we're trusting God with that. I had a mentor of mine talk about a great principle for the Advent season. You ready for this? There is no surrender in the abstract. I don't say, Lord, I surrender all to you. That's a cool song. 
but it doesn't mean anything until I list the all. And, and I realized as I was preparing for this, I used to do this on a daily basis. I need to get back to this. But my, my mentor taught me to, to name things in my prayer life that I need to actually surrender to God right now that I'm trying to uh, control a little bit. I'm practicing the illusion of control and let him go. I, I've shared, I think, with our Bible class before, a comical moment that God taught me about this. I remember when our oldest child, our daughter, was about to go to college. And I had this really weird experience. I started getting terrified. Now, you got to understand this. Most all of my ministry life, before I was a lead minister, I was a campus minister for a state universities like here. And I would tell people all the time, the best thing you could do is send your children to a, a state school where you have to practice in the real world being a Christian, but you're at a great place that has a solid campus ministry. I said it all the time, and then all of a sudden, our daughter became a senior, and I got really scared. I'm just confessing to you, you know what I want to do? We're living in Nashville at the time. I wanted to go to Lipscomb University. I wanted to stack the deck. I wanted to go to Christian college. And all of my campus ministry friends were like freaked out about me. But I'm, I'm telling you, I was distressed about this. And there was actually conflict between us and our daughter. Now, we had to come together. This is a joint decision, and we're discerning this. Now, here's the thing. I had the audacity and craziness to pray that as a surrender prayer to God. I remember that morning, I said, God, I'm surrendering this decision to you. And this is what I said, God, can you bring us together on this? Can you make us agree? Now, listen to me. As a parent, what do you think I meant when I said that to God? You know what I thought, right? Lord, bring us together meant help her understand the wisdom of her father, and we agree on this. That morning, I sat in a coffee shop with the dean of the music department at Lipscomb University where I wanted her to go. His name is Jerry. And I was there trying to enlist his support in helping me coerce, lovingly, our daughter to go to his university. And I told him, my daughter wants to go to MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University, and I want her to go here to practice flute. And he looked at me in the eye and he said, Dean, if I were sending my daughter to learn about the flute, I would send her to MTSU. <laughs> so you're kidding me. I looked up to God, I'm like, I didn't mean you to like actually take me seriously when I surrendered it to you. And we came together. And guess what she learned there? She didn't just learn music. She got involved in campus ministry at a state university. And guess what she's doing today in the state of Texas? She's doing campus ministry and music at the same time. I think God knew what he was doing. Is there a place in your life? And sometimes it's these, it's these dark places in our lives. Is there a place in your life where you need the season of Advent to say all over again, I need you, I depend on you, I'm not going to stop working, I'm not even probably going to, if I'm honest with myself, stop worrying all the time, but I'm going to surrender afresh to the God who has it all in the Lord's hands. Right? That's what Advent's all about. How is that all possible? It's all possible with the last voice. The last voice. The last voice is an invitation to look with longing. Don't you love this picture? To look with longing for a God who actually shows up in the world. Here's a simple Advent question. It's a great that it's a season because it forces us to be honest with ourselves. Do you really believe that the Lord will show up in the places and in the ways in your life? It may not be the way you want it, but do you really believe we have a God that doesn't just show up when Jesus came as a baby and doesn't just show up when Jesus is going to come back at the end? Do you really believe that there's a Lord who shows up, an adventing God? Do you believe that? So then can we look 
with longing and expectation for this Lord. What it says here in the passage, look, verses 9 through 11, but especially 9 and 10, I, I, I love, there's a threefold repetition of a really powerful word I like to point out because it's often not translated in the English. It's the word behold, to look with longing and expectation. Look at verse 9. Behold your God. He's just about to arrive. Behold, the sovereign Lord comes with power and rules with a mighty arm. Behold, his reward is with him. And you have this picture of great might. Here's, here's the thing. For me, when I come to a season like this, if I'm honest with myself, I have two struggles, not just one. One struggle, do I really believe God will show up? Second struggle is what picture do I have of God when he will? If I believe God's going to show up, what's my picture of God? My picture of God is often the God with the hammer, the gavel of judgment. And yes, the Lord does judge, but he judges in a redeeming, redemptive way. And what I love about this picture of the God that we long for is it starts with this picture of might. Behold the God who comes with might, the sovereign Lord, the powerful Lord, the mighty one who comes. But that's not where it ends. Because held together with a God of might is also the God of mercy. Do you see how the passage ends? It says, this God is a shepherd. The mighty one, the sovereign Lord, is a shepherd who tends his flock, gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart, and gently leads. Hear that again. Do you have the picture? We need both of them. The mighty God, the conquering king, is also a shepherd who tends his flock, gathers his lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart, and gently leads. I don't know about you, but I need this picture of God. Hear me, I need both sides of it. I need the picture of God who is mighty enough to deal with the messes of the world, but at the same time is merciful enough to deal with my mess. Do you need that God too? Like, I need a God who is powerful enough to deal with the messes of the world, but is also patient enough to deal with the messes I make of the world. And that's exactly the picture of the God that we are invited to behold, who is about to arrive and has arrived in Jesus. Isn't that breathtaking? That's the one we wait for. That's the one we, we dare to believe in and prepare and ask God to clear our hearts for. It's been some years ago now. I remember a woman who taught me what the heart and longing of Advent was all about. I called her Grandma. Grandma Davis. My wife's grandmother, a hero in our family. And I remember uh, going to see her the last time I would ever talk to her in the hospital. And I came in one of those moments, some of you had been in moments like this, if you have not yet, there will probably be a time you might have to encounter a moment like this, where, and, and again, only God can lead to know this is the kind of moment to do, and whether it's as a loved one or as a pastoral moment, for me it was both. It was a moment that I, I came to Grandma's side, and, and I was giving her permission to go embrace Jesus. And I, I said to her, I just want you to know that if you hear Jesus call, and invite you to come to him, you can go and you can go with confidence because you are his. And you know what she said? She said, can it be tonight? She turned and looked at her daughter, my wife's mother, and she said, I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see my God. 
And like this 92-year-old woman shows me what the heart of Advent is all about. And I, and I thought about that story as I'm studying this text. And, and my first thought was, this isn't an appropriate Advent text. Because Jesus isn't calling us to die, most of us. And then I thought, well, that's exactly what he's calling us to do in Advent. He's inviting us to die, not necessarily in our bodies yet, but he's calling us to die to anything that would block us from experiencing the fullness of the wonder of God and to have the kind of anticipation that Grandma had when she said, I cannot wait to see my Jesus. That's what it looks like because she was prepared for her arrival and prepared for God's arrival. What does it look like for us to say in this season, yeah, we'll get the presents ready and and we'll, we'll get the trees put up and we'll do all of that. But we're also going to ask you, Lord, can you prepare my heart right now for all that you have to show up in my life and in my world in the dark places of our lives, even before you call us home? That's what Advent is all about. That's our prayer, Father God, as we come to you. Would you explore our hearts? Would you open up our hearts? Not with condemnation or guilt, but just with a sense of anticipation and openness to surrender whatever it is that we need to give to you. To get out of the way to see that glory and that anticipation of a God who comes, who is mighty and merciful. A God who is powerful and patient. A God who gathers us up when we've been scattered. Father, we long for that in every possible way. Let us be the people who practice Advent in our own lives and offer it to a world in desperate need of hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Every now and then, um, I told our shepherds that, that uh, I'd like to just offer after, uh, after the sermon, before we close with a song, can we do an impromptu kind of family prayer time? I'd like to be able to do that. There's some families that we'd love to pray over, and some of the shepherds are going to be praying over that. I'm going to ask, by the way, it doesn't just have to be shepherds. I know some of you are prayer warriors, Brooke and, and Paige and others. If you're not praying for this family, uh, Sarah, I'm, I'm thinking people that are prayer warriors and worship warriors here. Can you go in the back, too? There may be somebody that needs prayer. So I'm going to ask you in this time, for some of us, Stephen and, and, and others, Mark, other leaders, uh, if you feel led to receive somebody in prayer, I want you to go in the back. Our, sorry, our shepherds are going to be praying over a family too. But we're going to invite a time just, to, just for you to offer yourself to the Lord. Or is there somebody you want to pray the Advent hope and expectation into? Please do that uh, as we uh, have a little prayer time right now. Ask some of our leaders, please go in the back to receive people.